You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, and my name is Helen Charleston. Soprano, and we're currently at the members bar at the South Bank Centre, which is very exciting for me. Not been here before. Um, I have been to the South Bank Centre, but not the members bar. And um, we're here to talk about an album that I've got coming up, uh, coming out this month called Battle Cry. What does that feel like to say? I mean, I know this is your second album. Yeah, this is a really special one, though. This is a a, a program that's been coming together since about 2019 so it feels really nice that we're at this point now it's been on it got slightly delayed because of covid as everything does so it's really nice that it's come together now but that covid break provided you with an opportunity to dig deep into the work of Strozzi. yeah that's right so i think um yeah, I'm really glad we did the recording when we did it because actually we kind of came away, changed the program slightly as I got to know even more of her music. So Barbara Strozzi was uh, living in Venice in the 17th century. She was really, really well known at her time. She published loads of music. People kind of think that um, that it was mainly the men that were doing all the publishing, but she was really making money from her music. So she was kind of a, a real entrepreneur, self self-employed. You know, composer in Venice. Why did we forget about her? Um, I think, to be fair to her, probably she's the least forgotten of that generation of, well, she would be the one uh, Baroque composer that I think a lot of people, female composer, that a lot of people could mention. But nonetheless, she didn't write opera. So she did get a little bit forgotten because of that. So I think if she'd written some stage works, then perhaps we may have kept her in our mind even longer um, but she wrote loads of songs and cantatas and some duets and trios and, and madrigals as well. Um, we'll come back to the album and Strozzi in a moment. I have to say it dawns on me that you are one of only a handful of people that I've interviewed where I thought oh my god you get, get to meet her and uh, that means that you're basically a celeb. Wow. Do, you know, do, do you normally get that kind of lavish attention no but thank uh, you i like it <laughs> uh, I, I wonder whether i suspect it's largely because of well obviously because you're very good at what you do <laughs> first thing uh, but also because of a marvelous video that the oae did with you i mean that was what a cracking piece of marketing yeah and well it's just an amazing thing i mean people do talk to me about it a lot loads of people have seen it um so it's dido's lament with me walking well walking forwards and talking backwards I was actually walking backwards and talking forwards but um, yeah it's an amazing video and you're right it is an amazing piece of advertising and kind of and it shows the amazing thing that the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment is doing as well Um, it was all their idea and they really kindly invited me to be part of it yeah and Crispin Woodhead who runs the orchestra he's he's the brains behind it all and he's really got amazing vision to bring classical music to people that maybe wouldn't have thought it was for them so it's amazing yeah it helped us I suppose what I'm saying in my mind is that it helped establish it helped establish 
your name in my mind. Uh, it was very polished and fascinating and demanded repeat viewing. Um, what was it like to make? I'm sorry, you've probably been asked this a lot, but what was it like to... I need detail. Of course. Uh, it was fun. It was really fun. It took quite a while. Um, we did... We did one very long weekend and then we did a couple of extra evenings. Um, it ended up getting broken up, so we filmed the majority of it in November 2019. But we didn't quite finish it. Well, we thought we'd finished it, but we didn't like the ending, so we knew we were going to have to film it again. And then, the pan- and then we made that decision in sort of February 2020, and then we didn't manage to film it in time before lockdown. So then we, we then filmed the end, which actually has turned out to be one of my favourite bits at the end, which, spoiler alert, sorry, but I suddenly disappear. And it's this wonderful kind of, yeah, Dido disappears and you've no idea what happens to her. Um, so we filmed that in November 2020. So that's so it kind of had a staggered um, approach. But it was and really fun. shot around here as well. Yeah. I remember watching it and sharing it yeah. with somebody and, and them saying, oh, it's just... I just really missed the place. So, you know, when it was released, it was it was a bit... It tugged at the heartstrings. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's an amazing scene. Well, almost all of it is on the South Bank, basically, with the skaters in the skate park and um, just that iconic image of the river and looking back into London. And, yeah, it, when it came out, which I think was February 21, it must have been, yeah. So we were back in lockdown. You couldn't really go into the city, and it had that idea of... Yeah, it felt very nostalgic for London. Oh, you said it was a long weekend. Yes. <laughs> yeah, your face seems to have fallen now. <laughs> uh, talk me through the weekend. What, how, how is that kind of thing shot? It's mainly the opening scene took a very, very long time, which if anyone's watched it, there's this amazing... Uh, I begin, I'm lying on a sofa looking up at the ceiling and there's this amazing looking panning... Fantastic. Thank you. Amazing panning image. And then... Yeah, so the, the, I mean, the premise is it's a whole night happening in reverse. So we had to get into the style of filming, and that took the longest time. Trying to work out things that we thought were going to work really well in reverse. So there's a bit where I take my jacket off or put it on, you know. Um, some of the things worked really well. I spent ages kicking off my shoes to try and get them to fall in an artistic way. That took like, it's like an hour of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> Um, are you now sick of Dido's Lament? No. Really? No. I mean, I, I, would, I just imagine that after having done all of that, either, I suppose you weren't singing through it. No. This is true. Because, so what I was doing was I was listening to it in reverse and oh. mouthing along to it, which I would never want to hear again. Ooh. So we isolated my voice, just the vocal line, and played it in reverse. And then I came up with some phonetics of the sounds that I was making and then I learnt my new made up words so that I could mouth along with it so that then when we put the whole thing into a video everything is played in reverse so my mouth is moving forwards but I'm moving backwards no no how I mean did you <laughs> were you able to adjust afterward did you quickly adjust yes although I wouldn't be able to do it again I've removed it all from my brain <laughs> quite clear I'm not doing it again I'm not doing it now it's dead now it's over um what have you done since I mean I've seen one other OAE thing which I thought was incredible that you were in which was also filmed around Easter I think 
Yeah, I mean that was that was remarkable. I thought that was an amazing enterprise. So that was Easter last year, and it was Mark Padmore directing the John Patton and sort of done almost in the round at the Battersea Arts Centre, and yeah, that was very special. That was a very intensive period as well. That was we spent a week filming it, and we kind of filmed the whole process, including the rehearsals, which was quite intense, and led to. Well, I think it led to a really amazing film, actually, because there, there was obviously a huge amount of material that they could use, but also everyone was so emotionally invested from sort of day one. So it's, yeah, it's a very intense piece. Uh, it was a rare occasion when I wanted to watch... I mean, it's quite long. Yeah. And I watched it from beginning to end. That's great. Um, I mean, I know that seems like a really obvious thing to say, because obviously you would come to a performance of it and you listen to it from beginning to end, but to watch something that long online um that says something about the spirit of it and the mm. it was a compelling thing yeah. and there's an amazing moment where the singers and players all sing a little hymn at the end i don't know if you remember that and i that i found the most moving one of the most moving things i've ever been involved with actually um we because we filmed it over a long period of time and we did it in big chunks so that you get the sense of the piece and rather than little moments and then so once we'd arrived at that point and everyone and the instrumentalists put their instruments down and joined us to sing in the final hymn it's kind of yeah really and that was a moment in time when there was there were still fairly hefty restrictions yeah absolutely yeah it was march i think it was early march 2021 so you know we couldn't couldn't do that and since all of that covid stuff has sort of come to an end what how have things picked up for you yeah, things are quite busy again, which is fantastic. I, I've i started a number of new things, which has been really nice. So I'm doing a young artist programme with Les Alfrozon at the moment, an orchestra in France. Um, so we have been touring Handel's opera Partenope since August 2021, on and off. Um, so that was wonderful timing because I just sort of disappeared to France for about five weeks in the summer last year which was amazing having not really traveled anywhere I was no, suddenly so get the work. <laughs> it was very nice um so yeah and, and I mean, I'm picturing vineyards and and sort of barbecues and that kind of thing is yeah, that we were, is that what was going on we were in the middle of nowhere and it was very very beautiful and we had a very nice time yeah did you have a supply of wine there was some wine yeah some wine she said and that's all we're going to say about it <laughs> Um, so back to the album then, um, uh, you are working, well you commissioned Owen Park to write Battle Cry? That's right, yeah. Uh, tell me about his work because I see him about in listings, in press releases, I see a lot of Owen Park. Why do you think that is? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? He's very good at what he does. He's a very, very talented musician and he's really interested in lots of different areas of music. So I know him as a friend. Um, we studied together. Um, but he also runs the Jazz World 06 and my partner sings in the Jazz World 06. So sort of, we'd kind of know him musically as well. Um, and I think well, What he, makes him a good... Sorry to interrupt you. What make, everybody says, oh, well, you know, they're, they're a good musician. But actually, for those of us on the outside, what... What are the constituent parts of him being a great musician, do you think? He, well, I think one of the things that made him so good for this project is he's really, really open to ideas and collaboration. So he really wants to work with people, which 
is particularly exciting for a composer because it means that the piece that we've created, this song cycle that he's written, has been a very, very collaborative thing between me, who's going to sing it, and Toby, who plays the theorbo, who's going to play it, um, Owen, and also our friend Georgia Way, who wrote the texts. So it's completely brand new. Everything about it is new. Um, so we had the four of us kind of working as a team, which is amazing and it's wonderful that Owen is a composer that wants to work like that as well. It's been very is rewarding. Is unusual then? Not necessarily, but we had the time and the space to be able to do it. So it's wonderful. That it's you said that you're working as a team. My experience of working as a team <laughs> is entirely different. So how does that work creatively? Because it, it makes me feel quite uncomfortable. It means that we were all... I mean, fundamentally, Owen wrote the music and Georgia wrote her text. You know, there's not, not necessarily that we decided what they should do, but we were able to open up conversations about what we wanted the piece to say, what we wanted the music to kind of convey, both for our own voices and the instrument, or also in terms of how it fits with the rest of the programme, because the rest of the programme is all 17th century music. And we, I, re, I particularly felt very strongly that the whole programme should feel quite connected. And Owen has done an amazing, amazing thing in that somehow he is able to uh, respond to the music around it. So you can almost hear Purcell and Strozzi in his music. He doesn't quote it in any way, but it's so heavily influenced. It's Yeah, it's really exciting. It's got his own kind of modern take on it. Clearly brings a big smile to your face, and I don't, <laughs> I don't see that as a PR having briefed you to smile <laughs> about it. What is it that excites you about that? Because it's obvious. I am really lucky in that I spend a lot of my life in this amazing world of the 17th century. I think it's dramatic music, it's exciting music, it's poetic, it's beautiful. Um, but what this project and working with Owen on it has showed me is that we can make it even more relevant today and that the kind of human condition hasn't changed. You know, We're interested in the same things. We're still trying to explore and trying to work out a lot of the same emotions. So yeah, I find that really exciting that there's this sort of line through history, through the music. How did you come to be drawn to the music of the 17th century? Where did that start? Well, my dad is a harpsichordist. That's gonna help. So that helps, yeah. So it was around a lot for me as a kid. So the house I grew up in was and still is full of lots of keyboard instruments, harpsichords, clavichords. Is it a museum? Is that what you're saying? It's not a museum. It's just crammed. <laughs> um, so I had the joy of, of being around it and I, yeah, and I went to lots of concerts. I have a really vivid memory of being about nine and going to see Emma Kirkby do a concert that my dad was playing in. You know, like these people who are the greats of that kind of era of music making I, I just sort of spent time with and that's that's amazing so I think it infiltrated somehow or indeed inspired or inspired maybe that's the word I mean infiltrated yeah <laughs> makes me think of MI6 I don't know why um, what did your dad's dad do? Um, he was in the RAF so no so you're a yeah. second generation musician really yeah. in your family yeah yeah exactly wowzers you weren't put off I was not put off <coughs> But why the seventeen? I mean, uh, all right, I get that you've got loads of, yeah, there's a lot of harpsichord music, but why? Why? So I think it's got a lot of 
well there's two things particularly that draw it draw me to it there's a lot of flexibility and creative freedom so a lot of this music is based around or there's lots of opportunity for your own embellishment and decoration and not necessarily improvisation but choice of how you bring it to life even to the extent of like some of these songs that are on the disc we could have done with loads of other instruments we've chosen just to do with one instrument so that's that's a really basic thing that you know it's written for a continuer instrument so we could have had five continuer instruments but we chose to have one so that allows you to take quite a lot of the musical agency which is very exciting um but also it's really fun to sing (laughs) yeah in what way it's often extreme it's often got you know um huge ranges uses all of your voice does very fast things or very slow things there's sort of a huge amount of variety and it can be quite challenging and i quite enjoy that challenge um the next thing I want to ask you is about your studies. You had a choral scholarship at Trinity College, Cambridge. Essentially, that means that everything's paid for, is that right? Is that what a choral scholarship is? No. No. You get a small scholarship, but that's very nice. And you, what you get, that's very nice. <laughs> what you get is an amazing musical education of practical music making. Um, I did a music degree as well, but the choral scholarship is sort of separate oh, from the music degree. Oh, uh, my so they, assumption was that it was funding a particular yeah. strand in a music degree, but it's not. No, it's just a sort of, um, it's, yeah, auxiliary to it, effectively. Um, I mean, you can do performance as part of your degree, and so that, you know, uh, the singing lessons that you get as part, so one of the things you do get is you get singing lessons as part of your choral scholarship, which is amazing, which you get paid for, and so that's a very, very useful thing. Um, but you're in this amazing group of people who come from all different bits of life that I studied well I sang in the choir alongside people who were doing maths history um, classics everything English you know it's not just what, musicians that's what that enabled that choral scholarship exactly. that others enabled exactly yeah so it means that it's not just drawn from the small pool of music students but it's a university wide opportunity and Owen was on uh, Cambridge at the same time, and presumably your partner who was in Jesuit Six. This is not leading. It's not like there's an agenda. It's just that I, I have in my in my memory a conversation with Owen, where I left thinking it felt as though Jesuit Six came out of, to a certain extent, came out of that time. Yeah, exactly. They did their first concerts as a group when they were all at Trinity. Um, it's changed in personnel a little bit but kind of that's where the first ideas came from and three of them, four of them are still the same from that time They strike me as having I realise this is not about them it's, it's totally about the fine. album but you know whilst you're here um, they just strike me as sort of being able to do everything yeah. they understand about digital marketing because mm. they just sort of just get on with it and and they're very nimble because they're a small group and and they do a range of repertoire which make which struck me during the pandemic as making them actually perfectly positioned for the only kind of live performance that was allowed during the pandemic yes they were lit and they're literally the right number of people as well if you remember when there was that six yeah, exactly. person rule i mean like, yeah, like <laughs> the, the number be. of gardens that they were allowed to sing in was endless no but but that is that is that by design do you think or is that by accident is it a reflection of them 
Yeah, it's a reflection of them and also the music that they really wanted to explore initially. So I think they wanted to explore this sort of, well, similar world to what we're talking about, this 17th century world of Italian music, which is beguiling and, you know, really exciting and not necessarily what you would do in Evensong at Cambridge because a lot of it is secular music rather than sacred music. So it's a whole different strand that maybe... And similarly for me, I didn't really know it that well when I was a student, but I've since spent a lot of time exploring. So I can imagine that they've had the same, you know, it's an amazing sound world to grab onto. I'm reminded of the other thing that makes you and them unusual in that this is going to sound really bad. (laughs) But I have to say it now, otherwise I have to edit it out. Um, Which is, you went to Cambridge and you seemed quite normal. Thank you. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, I don't know. We're us. <laughs> <laughs> but there is this assumption that, that some of those, not all of them, but some of those who go to Oxford or Cambridge seem otherworldly. You seem quite down to earth. How did you manage that? I mean, did you do you understand what I'm saying? Or are you going to sit there and go, oh, I don't know what you're talking about? No, 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 I do. Um, I, yeah, I, I met a huge variety of people when I was at Cambridge. It's amazing. And there are some, there are some just utterly amazing, you know, brains and academics and people doing, well, people doing the things they want to do really, really well at a very high level. Um, but I think partly music is a very sociable thing very community-based activity and so I think part of the reason certainly I want to do music is because it connects with people and so I hope that I get on well with people and I like spending time with people and I think maybe that's part of it. Maybe my assessment is thinking about it maybe it's based on those people who didn't actually do practical music making maybe it's the ones who didn't do practical music making who now present themselves as being a little bit sort of like don't like talking to you anyway (laughs) we should probably skate away from that I I mean I think this is the case with any album but especially in the classical music world but this is there is a there is a thread that runs all the way through this this is a this is a journey yeah. isn't it yeah. from beginning to end yeah. tell me what you think I will see on this journey so you'll meet a handful of people and hear from them in a variety of different ways. So a lot of the pieces that we've chosen to be a part of this programme are either named by being about very specific women or relate to specific stories and moments in time. So we have Boudicca appears twice, so both in a song by Purcell and also in one of Owen's new pieces. Um, We hear from Dido. Um, we hear from Sappho, uh, one of the early, or probably the earliest female poet, um, and there's a sense that we're trying to meet these women and hear their stories and ask what they might want to say. We also have Monteverdi's Lamented Ariana, which is this huge 10-minute monologue um, as, as Ariadne is left behind by Theseus. And she spends, you know, all this time being like, why aren't you coming back? I want to die. Why aren't you here? Ah, you've left me to die. I want to get you. Oh, no, you've left me here. It's this sort of like almost bipolar piece. It's completely, completely amazing. It's her monologue of of her realisation of her situation. So it's... One of the women who features in something has had her tongue cut out yeah that's right Philomela which obviously is interesting when I'm singing all of her words Um, so yeah the story of Philomela is is pretty 
pretty grim. <laughs> well, I'm very be sorry not to be aware of this already, but why was her tongue cut out? Because she wouldn't be with the man who wants to be with her. And so instead of him being like, that's okay, he attacked her and cut her tongue out. Okay. It's quite unpleasant. A He's story. an arse yes, hole. Exactly. Okay, I'm allowed to say that. Definitely, he is. Yeah, and um, so we, yeah, we meet her. Bef- so we meet her in a time where she can speak. But I think George's idea for this was she plays around with lots of words. So there's a whole refrain which uses f's because that's a word that you don't need your to- a letter that you don't need your tongue for because you can yes, just make it with yes. your lips. Okay. So she was playing a lot with what could she say what couldn't she say and at one point the song was going to be about moving from being able to speak into not being able to speak but it just became this amazing it's almost like a little folk song of her having sort of being above the situation and looking back onto it which is yeah it's wonderful are there any less grim stories um i would say that they're all about (laughs) strong people (laughs) who have had to withstand quite a lot of grimness yeah but there's positivity there and it's not just it's not about lament always it's about seeing strength through that and also seeing what the next step could be because I think there's um, an Italian word aime or oime which is sort of oh woe is me which cropped up all the time in 17th century Italian music and we don't really, I guess, have an equivalent for it in English other than oh, what woe is me. Yes, exactly. Um, and I at the beginning I said, you know, don't say any bad words. And yeah, I've done that twice. I've done it twice. Um, so it's trying, to, it's trying to say, this music is great because it's about extreme emotion. We really enjoy performing it. But I don't want to just present music that is, oh, no, all these women are dying. Oh, they're being <laughs> no, left behind. It's going to land very well. And though. so we're asking, so what are they going to do about it, basically? And that's what Owen's piece is trying to do. It's saying, well, if we met them again and if we get, gave them the chance to say anything, what would they say? Hmm. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to tell me about this that I haven't asked you? I guess the other interesting thing is the combination of instruments. So it's just two people involved, me singing and Toby Carr, who plays the theorbo, which is a big lute, basically, a bass lute. Yeah, it's really worth looking up. Hey, another plug for the Orchestra Age of Enlightenment. It's really worth looking up their um, YouTube video that Liz Kenny made about what the theorbo is. It's a great video. It went really viral. has millions and millions and millions of views. Why? I, d- I think people w- I don't I'm know. sure it's very interesting but why I don't know but it's a great video and worth watching and she explains the instrument really really well um, it's turned up in somebody's syllabus hasn't it for A-level music or something even then would that be millions and millions <laughs> somebody's very keen yeah. to get an A <laughs> exactly yeah um, and this, and it makes for quite an intimate sound world, basically, because fundamentally uh, the theorbo is a bass instrument. It can't, yeah, it has um, a variety of sounds, but it's not like we've got loads and loads of different instruments to, you know, a harpsichord and an organ and a cello and all of this kind of stuff. We've just got the two of us, and so the whole CD is I think quite an intimate one and it means that when we meet Dido um, Toby's done an arrangement of Dido's Lament, the Purcell just for Theobo, whereas it would normally be with strings. So we've kind of tried to take that as, as a song in itself, sort of removing it slightly from the opera 
and turning it in as a more intimate, um, yeah, inward song. Does that mean that if it was just the two of you, it was somehow quicker to record? <laughs> no. Uh, I, well, I guess maybe to some extent. Um, it meant that... I mean, it, it's a wonderful programme because hopefully it means because it's just the two of us we can do it more often. So we're doing it a few times this year. We're coping to do it a few times next year. You know, it's good just being two people rather than me and six people. It's much harder to kind of encourage people to put it on. I feel as though my listening has changed since, well, certainly during and since the pandemic, in that I used to be, if it's not an orchestra, I'm not interested. And now... I'm more interested in solo or vocal and I've never really been drawn to vocal music. Uh, do you do you notice a similar change in your listening? Um, I fall into the very bad habit of I listen a lot to what I'm preparing and around what I'm preparing. So that means I listen to a lot of vocal music. I have found, though, that I've been drawn again to... Um, Oh, certainly during the pandemic, I spent more time listening to instrumental music. So perhaps it's the other way around because I was missing the singing and I didn't necessarily always want to listen to singing. And so I've sort of went in the other direction. But I think that's because it's the thing that I don't do rather right, than... OK, so that's your escape. Perhaps, yeah. Did you, and, and during the pandemic, were you doing restricted performances? Um, yes, a bit. Um, yeah, a variety of things, some online performances and then as things got going a little bit sort of reduced numbers and that kind of thing. It's very nice not to be in that world so much yeah. now. I mean, it seems remarkable wandering around London now. I mean, there are some some roads that are just so completely silent, it's like we've gone back two years, but it's it feels like it's almost forgotten. Yeah, yeah it's extraordinary that, isn't it? The sort of We do have a capacity to just get on and kind of revert to normal or whatever that means it's great for music it's wonderful to see people back in concert halls um it, I, there's nothing like it it's so wonderful <laughs> yes i i saw i saw the lso play their first concert um at the barbican i can't remember i have no idea when it was i've absolutely maybe it was october last year i don't know it was the most joyous thing i've <laughs> ever heard in my entire life it's like i want to hug all of you yeah no, and, and um, I still haven't actually got over that feeling. That That's really interesting, you know, because I, I've been performing to audiences for nearly a year now. So next, yeah, so May, wasn't it, that we could start doing, yeah, May last year. So it's basically a, a year, even though it was reduced initially. That feeling, I still really, really value that, that people are there and that you're you're making music with them it's just not the same if there's no one in the room because you you've lost your third kind of direction of communication there, there will always be for me there will always be something really really quite painful a painful reminder will be seeing videos of orchestras playing concertos and then applauding themselves. I mean, I mean it, was, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. But also, I know I'm going to look at that and go, oh, God, do you remember that? Oh, it's going to be a lightning yeah. rod. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that you can like to tell me about? This lovely thing before... Well, it's out on the Delphian label. So it is. And it's coming out on the 27th of May. Okay. Oh, okay. So yeah. I've just, this is like an advanced copy. It's like an advanced Hello. copy that you've got there. Right. I know. It's all and it will be available everything. on all the obvious streaming possibilities. Yes. Um, 
yeah no I, I think yeah I, I'm really interested to hear what people think of it um, I, I'm really I'm really proud of what we've made and I hope that um, I hope people are going to enjoy listening to it You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast presented by John Jacob. Follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter at Thoroughly Good, Thoroughly underscore good on Instagram and Thoroughly Good Me on Facebook.